0: Welcome to the Upland Nation Podcast. I'm Scott Linden, your host. Glad you could join me. Happy New Year. Yeah, the glow is uh, fading slowly, but I uh, hope you celebrate it in whatever way you, um, you deem to celebrate. We'll celebrate all things shooting this week on the podcast. Don Curry, the um, well, the Chief Instructor at the National Sporting Clays Association, will be on the line with me in just a moment. Whether you're a wing shooter, a target shooter, or all of the above, so is Don. He's going to offer some advice on everything from gun fit to approaching a pointing dog to um, what you do when you're unboxing that Christmas present you got. It's all coming up on the Upland Nation podcast. We'll also be um, asking your dog for his or her New Year's resolutions. I'll be asking you a question in the Upland Nation puzzler quiz and i'll be offering up a prize and it's all made possible by roughland performance kennels happy jack dog care products sage and breaker gun pick care products pointer shotguns dr tim's natural performance dog food and mid valley com. shop there for your next shotgun well you getting out it's the waning days of the season for most of us uh with luck, I'll be out in a couple other places real soon, getting out of the snow, uh, stopping in Nevada on the way back from a trip to Southern California and Arizona, where I hope to start chasing some of those birds for a change. Some will be familiar, but in f- unfamiliar places, and some will be brand new to me, haven't shot many gamble quails, so I'm looking forward to that, uh, I'm looking forward to getting together with a couple friends that I started friendships with online so uh, yeah it does pay off once in a while as you know and uh, hope you're doing the same getting out being safe enjoying the heck out of the last few days of this season the upland nation podcast is brought to you in part by sage and breaker gun care products crafted at the highest caliber go on over to sageandbreaker.com. Sign up for the mailing list. You'll get the first notice of any sales and any new products coming down the line. One of my favorites is one you're going to use up. Uh, That doesn't happen very much with Sage and Breaker. Fred Bohm calls it CLP. It is a spray-on, non-toxic way to take care of your gun metal. Clean, lube, protect. Learn more about CLP and all the heirloom-quality cases and care products at Sageandbreaker.com. And if you're looking for a starter shotgun for your kids, or if you're looking to upgrade your own shotgun, go to legacysports.com and then click on the pointer tab. Learn all about their variety of styles and grades of guns from their field tech semi-automatics to their sport tech target guns looks over and unders their aqueous over and unders which i use all the time now love their fit and finish as well as their value learn more about them at LegacySports.com. then go up to the brands tab and click on pointer shotguns Well, uh, I got to admit, I'm being a little selfish here, but that's the whole idea, isn't it? On a podcast is my podcast, but I'm bringing on somebody who might be able to help you and me both. Don Curry is the chief instructor of the National Sporting Clays Association. Also a very sought after shooting coach. We've enjoyed his uh, advice and, uh, and knowledge in the past. Uh, Don also runs the Academy of Wing and Clay Shooting He's in a warm place. That's the main reason I called. Don, welcome to the program.
1: Thank you, Scott. It's great to be back again.
0: Okay, so put me in your place because I could use a little bit of nice weather.
1: Well, I have to say that this is an unusually uh, ugly day in Florida. It's a little bit a uh, little bit muggy, and it's overcast. But we, we've been having pretty nice weather here in Florida. No snow. We, we haven't seen any of the white stuff. Um, <laughs> We were really hoping for some lower temperatures uh, over over Christmas. Uh, we don't get even though we don't get a white Christmas, we're, we look for a, a cooler Christmas, but we didn't get that either. So uh, anyway, we, we we judge how well the uh, winter is going by how many times we're able to light the fire pit.
0: Oh, that's you know I wish I could say that. And if you are <laughs> if you ever desperate, feel free to bring your snow shovel and come on up here and help out a little bit. In the, in the meanwhile, what are you doing down there? Are you, are you teaching or are you what? Tell me, tell me what's new in your life.
1: Yeah. So, well, in general, I spent about 130 some odd days a year on the road, uh, teaching. And when I say on the road, some, some of that's in Florida and some of it's, uh, um, elsewhere in the Southeast, as well as, uh, Chicago and, and, uh, Minnesota and, uh, as as well as uh, the other locations that I go where I teach instructor courses, so I, I stay stay pretty active. But recently, in the last couple of weeks, uh, I've been uh, um, teaching here in Florida. Uh, in the last week at South Florida Shooting Club, which is really a fantastic uh, club, one of the I think one of the premier clubs in the country. And then uh, just about a week prior to that, I got back off a two-week uh, loop that I do three times a year to uh, North Carolina and Georgia. Nice. teaching and gun, doing gun fittings and uh and whatnot
0: well we're going to talk about gun fitting in particular in a moment or two but i'm you know here's one thing we've never really talked about not you know i'm a big believer and you know for a, a few years i actually made a tv series for the sporting clays association but there are a lot of people who have never set foot on a sporting clays course uh, for any number of reasons and I understand them all because I was there once too uh, or even at you know even at a trap club or a skeet range or something like that what is the what would you tell people who they want to be better shooters but they're kind of intimidated by that kind of the quote club unquote atmosphere
1: yeah well I, you know every club um has its own personality I would say and there's and there's a club personality for everyone, you know. Um, but um, I would say that, and this this is somewhat self interested, right? But most, um, almost all clubs have either a resident instructor or an instructor that um, you know is there periodically. Mm-hmm. And you know, if someone's intimidated ab- about trying sporting clays. Um, you know one of the best ways one can sort of get acclimated is just you know to take an hour lesson with a, yeah. with, a with a local instructor because I think that um sort of uh, takes away some of the the intimidation factor um n- not only for the sport itself but but also um you know some of the local customs regulations etiquette uh, and whatnot but um I, I guess I would say um uh, jump in yeah (laughs) just 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 jump in because it's 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 a lot of fun it's one of the a few places uh and few activities where you can blow up things with a shotgun legally uh and it's just uh, it's very gratifying for us americans who, who tend to be uh instant gratification oriented
0: that's absolutely true as i used to say let's go make noise and break things that's right. Uh, it, uh, uh, and, you know, just for everybody out there who's, who's agonizing over this, uh, you know, make it a New Year's resolution to go out uh, and, and try some of this. And, and most of the clubs these days will actually have a, a real kind of almost entry-level process, if you will. Uh, somebody will show you how to work the machines if you need to. They'll show you where a practice machine is. You could shoot on your own. All of those things will definitely help you. Hey, Tiger Woods, even in the shape he's in now, he doesn't set foot on the golf course until he's whacked a couple hundred balls at the at, at the range first. That's, you know, that's right. Shouldn't we as well? um but you you know you also get to hunt a little bit when you're out in those places and i know when we talked last you were uh, talking about somebody a dog trainer slash uh, plantation um outfitter if you will uh have you been hunting at all lately
1: i, I did i just returned from a, a quail hunt uh i would say it was about a, about five weeks ago or so in uh in northern georgia It was a private uh, club uh, one of my uh uh, Longtime uh, clients and students uh, invited myself and and another instructor uh, to go uh, hunting with them. It was a, just a great experience. The uh, they do early release, so they are pen raised birds, but they do early release, so they really do behave um, very much like wild birds. And and uh, as is the custom at this club, uh, you you don't typically um, hunt down singles. So yeah. you know you 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 flush a covey. Which and the cubbies were really nice. I mean, they, they. I don't think any cubby was under twelve. Let's say, and um, and we just had a great great experience. The uh, the weather was a little brisk because it was in uh, northern Georgia. Uh, one <laughs> for a for a Florida boy, one could even say it was cold. But uh, that wouldn't compare to um, other regions of the country.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I was hunting in Nevada a week ago, and the high was twenty two. <laughs> ouch yeah. yeah uh poor dogs but but tell me yeah. about tell me about the dog work at this place how do they run it and are are you hunting a, a foot a horseback or in one of those cool wagons
1: no in this particular place uh this particular club we we hunted over dogs and uh the dogs belong to the the uh my my friend and and uh, client that invited us and um, the dog work was terrific. Uh, we di- we didn't hunt over pointers and flushers. We just had a pointer. Mm-hmm. So um, al- although the the birds were again behaving somewhat wild, so uh, we we did have a little bit of uh, kicking up that we had to do, but uh, which which I, I frankly don't like to do a whole lot of. Uh, the The ideal for me the the ideal hunt um, is one where you're using both. You know, two pointers at a time and a flusher, and uh, to me that's uh, as I think I mentioned in the last podcast that that's like watching an orchestra. You know, um, and, and I, I don't really like the the kicking up of birds and having to coax the birds out of the grass. Uh, but uh, other than that, the uh, the birds flew very well, and uh, the, the, again the the weather was brisk, so it felt like a quail hunting morning
0: (laughs) Uh, yeah i can't leave it at that i have to ask you how you shot Oh, you know, I I can't say I never missed any.
1: Okay. Yeah. I, I can't say I never missed any, but but I shot okay. I, I shot respectably.
0: Yeah. Okay. All right. So just for the record, even even a, the chief instructor of the NSCA misses a bird once in a while. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd have to, I'd have to call myself a liar if I if I told you otherwise. Right. Well, well, that yeah, you know, they wouldn't call it hunting; they'd call it shopping.
1: <laughs> That's right.
0: Well, uh, you, you know, when you when you go, and I'm lucky enough to be able to go to places like that more often than most people do in fact i was looking at the map last night you know i've hunted in 28 states um and and, uh and you know everything you know from sleeping in a you know in the back of my pickup to one of those kind of plantations but they all have something going for them but what what about that plantation vibe what what is the thing you take away from that and tell everybody about next week after you've gone there
1: Well, I think that, uh, it's a combination. I mean, the, the ideal quail hunting experience for me is you you come in in the morning, you have a hunt, uh, in the afternoon, you have, have lunch, maybe have a hunt in the afternoon, um, have a, a, a nice dinner, uh, out by the fire pit, maybe, maybe some brown water, um, uh, after dinner and, um, and then uh, get up early the next morning and uh, do it again, have a great lunch and, and leave then. But you know,
2: the,
1: it, I would say that the experience of quail hunting is yes, of course you, you, ha- you have the dog, you ha- certainly have the, the quail in the field, right? That's a, that's a requisite. But um, th- to me, the, the things that really uh, make quail hunting experience uh, what it is, is number one, the dog work, number two, the the camaraderie that's uh that uh that happens both uh, on the quail fields but but also during the the times when you're not hunting in the evenings and it's just a great time for getting together with uh, like-minded sportsmen and uh you you really feel like you've uh, sort of taken a full breath of this of the sportsman's lifestyle when you uh, when you, when you drive away from uh, a plantation after a, a two-day hunt
0: you know, you're absolutely right, and, I, and and you got them in the right order. So, yes, we will continue this podcast interview. You've passed the <laughs> test. But you, there is something to be had at all of those. And, you know, I, I used to joke about it when I was doing more and more seminars that I'm doing now. But, you know, if somebody goes to a seminar or they're wondering if they should go to a seminar or they go to a lodge or whatever it is, if you can come back, if you can take away one thing from that experience, you're probably ahead of the, ahead of the crowd on that stuff. And it could be something you learned while you were having a drink, or it could be something uh, a dog taught you or anything in between. So um, let's, let's jump in on this. Let's, you know, uh, Christmas has passed. Most of the folks who got a a new shotgun under the tree have opened it up and hopefully put it together and probably run a few rounds through it. But, but if somebody is contemplating, well, let's just say somebody has got a new gun and it's in the box they're opening the box what are the things that they need to do before they actually go out and shoot it and i don't mean assemble the thing but is there anything we need to do when this thing shows up from the factory that we may not think about in the old days for example they came with that grease all over them uh do we need to i mean are is there a need to do anything like that before we put the gun together
1: well, um, <clears throat> let me come back to the grease part. <laughs> but um, I think uh, if we're talking specifically about shotguns and you're, you've just uh, opened up a brand new shotgun and you're wondering what to do with it, uh, you know, first, second, and third, um, to me, and I learned this the hard way, uh, and we can we can go into that embarrassing story if you like, <laughs> but, um, but uh, I, I, the first thing you want to do is make sure – That your barrels are properly regulated uh, in an over in an over and under shotgun, and I'm talking specifically for an over and under shotgun. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so what does barrel regulation means uh, mean? It it basically means that both barrels are shooting at the same place uh, at a certain distance. Okay. So uh, and that 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 may seem uh sort of a blinding flash of the obvious right like well why would i need to check that right so uh don't they check that at the factory well yes uh but there's a small percentage and i learned this the hard way there's a small percentage of over and under shotguns that make their way out of a factory um that the barrels are not properly regulated so in most cases um and, I, and someone could challenge the, the, the statement I'm getting ready to make, but in most cases, in a factory, they're test firing a gun at a range of somewhere between uh, 16 and 25 yards, somewhere in there, okay? And um, to make sure that the barrels are sound and they're they're shooting at the same place at a certain distance. So I think most shotguns, um, if you bench them, and by bench them, I mean, you know, you're shooting them like a rifle, uh, you know, uh, uh, resting on sandbags. And and that's, again, the first thing I think you should do with a shotgun when you pull it out of the box is yeah, make sure yeah. the barrels are regulated. And the, w- the way we do that is something we never, ever do uh, after this with a shotgun, and that is aim it just like a rifle. Yeah, um, Because some shotguns don't have sights or, you know, uh, they may have one bead and not two. Uh, one of the little tricks there is to uh, just mount a straw with scotch tape on top of uh, on top of the rib, um, and actually aim it at a target, a stationary target that's somewhere, you know, in the neighborhood of 16 to to 20 yards, let's say, mm-hmm. and make sure that both barrels are shooting in the same spot. If both barrels are shooting in the same spot. Then that would be the last time you ever want to aim that shotgun. And uh, but that is a necessary step because again, there's uh, there are a very very small percentage of shotguns that will make it out of a factory that are not uh, properly regulated. And, and-, and uh, so so that's important. And and if you don't figure that out right out of the gate, you'll struggle with it for um, for a year or two or, or more. Um,
0: yeah. And that's when I come in. That's what you, you know, once every few months i will say, Oh, I finally sighted it in or did what, uh, you know, whatever they did and realized my barrels were not regulated. Somebody showed me how to do that. And, and no wonder I'm missing on the second shot or whatever. Uh, but just to, to explain to me, if I understand correctly, regulated, we got two pipes there. Theoretically they're, they're, they're equally, they're, they're pointing at the same position all the time but the pipes sometimes are welded a little bit cockeyed is that the idea
1: yeah that, that that's 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 a, about right that's a good way to describe it um so when you say you have two pipes let's say it's an over and under um those barrels go out uh they're just shy of parallel so they're just a little the the trajectory of those of both those barrels. Is just a little closer together than parallel, okay. and they actually inter intersect intersect at a certain distance. And again, normally that's between you know sixteen and twenty five yards, let's say. And that's what you're looking for yeah. is that that uh, where where both and that results in uh, when you bench a shotgun like that and fire it like a rifle, aim it at a, a stationary spot. Um, that's what you're looking for is that both barrels fire in the same spot. And you want when you do that, you want to use the tightest choke you've got okay and um the shot the 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 cartridge really doesn't matter too much um obviously you know bird shot uh, or something that you'd use in sporting clays like something between a seven and a half and a nine Mm -hmm. and um to make again to make sure for the first time out of the box that you have a proper uh, a a shotgun a two-barrel shotgun that's properly with properly regulated
0: barrels excellent let's let's talk a little bit about um chokes and shot sizes because i get that question a lot as well and i i'm pretty lazy about that sort of thing i shoot uh it it, whether it's a side by side or an over and under i'm i'm almost always shooting improved and modified uh improved obviously on the first barrel and modified on the second barrel um but in general do you do you swap them out when you're hunting much or do you keep the same ones in all season how does that work for a guy who really knows what they're doing so
1: so i'll answer the question but i I have to say you picked the absolute worst person to ask that question though because (laughs) i i shoot fixed barrels because i fixed choke because i have learned over time that um, looking at the bird is so much more important than, than fiddling around with your chokes but um uh let me back up a second so one of the things a term that people use a lot is improved and uh, there are actually two chokes that are that start with the word improved uh, it's improved cylinder and improved modified and you can actually have improved full I guess uh, <laughs> it, it rarely you'll see that but but so it's important to use that second word so improved cylinder and um, for, for example your typical quail hunter right um, what you see most often is an improved cylinder in the bottom barrel right. and a modified in the top barrel you know, particularly in the 28, 20 gauge um, uh, you know, sub-gauge gauges that you use on, on the quail field so, uh, and, and so if I'm hunting quail and I have a, a shotgun that's improved cylinder on the bottom and modified on the top I, I will almost never uh change my barrel selector at yeah. a hunt mm-hmm. um, you, your expectation is if you're hunting over dogs that um the first when the when mm-hmm. the birds flush your first shot is going to be uh at a shorter distance than your second shot so uh, you, you just leave it there improved sure. a- improve cylinder and modified with your with your second shot that uh, allows you if you if you so dare to, tr- to attempt that uh that forty-yard shot uh, with the second barrel.
0: Yeah, I've heard people who've done that, but uh, I'm not among <laughs> them. Y- you know, but you bring up a good point, and and this Im- the word improved. I use it uh, habitually, but <clears throat> how do you improve cylinder? <laughs>
1: <laughs> so yeah, okay. Well, so if you want to get technical about it, so so uh, we, we have uh, it, sort of the order of chokes goes cylinder, skeet. Improved cylinder, light modified, modified, improved modified, and then you have varying degrees of full. You might have light full, full, extra full. Um, and just from a, I guess, to simplify the choke conundrum, right, is just that it starts at cylinder, and the reason it's called cylinder is that there is no constriction. Right. So a choke basically constricts. Uh, the shot and wad as it emerges from the muzzle that's basically and and the advantage of constricting um, the the wad and shot as it exits the barrel is that uh, the the shot will the shot pattern okay the collection of shot will stay together longer at at greater distances so um, so a cylinder for example choke uh, to say cylinder and choke is almost um is almost an oxymoron right because uh, a a cylinder choke doesn't actually choke the the shot and wad at all it's the same uh nominal bore width as the barrel is from you know from the, the uh, forward of the forcing cones all the way out to the muzzle. It's just the same diameter all the way out. And when we use a cylinder choke, we're really looking for no constriction at all. So we our expectation is that that shot will disperse fairly quickly um, as it emerges from the barrel and or the muzzle. And as we move up in that scale that I just articulated uh, into ski I see light mod mod we're, we're further constricting and tightening that uh the the diameter at the end of the muzzle so again not to not to baffle people with numbers but let, let's just say your your average um 12 gauge shotgun is uh 732 732 thousandths of an inch at, at the muzzle and obviously the Europeans measure it in, in millimeters but uh-huh. let's just say it's 732 uh, one thousandths of an inch otherwise expressed as 0. 0.7 or uh, sorry uh, did I say 0 point3 uh, 732, so uh-huh. 0.732 so your your cylinder the the if you went in with a bore micrometer and measured your your cylinder choke it would also measure 732 one thousandths if you measured your skeet choke, on average, it would be five one thousandths constriction smaller. So you'd be at 727 thousandths of an inch. And and in general, uh, and just to make a very broad, oversimplified statement, as you go up in, uh, as you tighten up in choke, as you go to skeet and IC, light mod modify, it, each step you take um, constricts about five one thousandths more. Okay. so you end up right. with a with a you know a skeet choke that constricts by five one thousands whatever the bore width of the barrel is uh, you're gonna be five one thousandths tighter and as you go all the way up to uh, modified you've got about thousandths constriction um, and then uh, full which is about thirty one thousandth constriction and and everything in between
0: so so <clears throat> most of our guns will come with, three or four or five choke tubes um, Mm -hmm. from the factory, but there are a whole bunch of choke manufacturers out there who do nothing but chokes. Um, Is is there an advantage to buying new choke tubes from a company that makes just choke tubes?
1: Well, um, what I would say is that um, it's the same thing with barrel regulation. I would trust but verify. Yeah. So uh, I think Ronald Reagan uh, coined that phrase. Mm-hmm. So tr- trust, trust but verify. So whenever you get, uh, just as you want to check the barrel regulation uh, of a shotgun when you first get it, you no matter uh, how reputable the choke company happens to be, or the company that you bought the shotgun from that supplied you with those chokes it's a good idea to go ahead and and uh get someone if you don't happen to have a bore micrometer in, at your house um you know get someone to to measure your chokes for you just to make sure that what's on the label on the chokes matches uh the proper constriction that they should be
0: all right well good to know and um lots more to come on the upland nation podcast that is don curry the chief instructor for the national sporting clays association and one of us a hunter as well and i'm scott linden and i'm going to stick around i'm going to give don a little break here while i cover a little bit of business and then we'll be back to talk about gun fit a little bit and uh, maybe some tips on approaching dogs and a little bit of everything else in the shooting area as well as the upland nation quiz puzzler and a prize and um and your dog's new year's resolutions. so stick around don i'll be right back to you in the meanwhile everybody else pay attention we're brought to you in part by happy jack incorporated that's happyjackinc.com yeah save yourself trip to the vet once in a while if your dog is slowing down it's not just because he's been worn out by all the hunting it might be arthritis if it is well then we've got a solution at HappyJackInc.com. it's called flex enhance plus i've been using it on all my dogs They get to a certain age they start to slow down a little bit flex enhance plus is just a little chewable tab it has glucosamine and creatine in it and these are the things that will build back Reverse some of the damage caused over time to joints, bones, and cartilage. Learn more about all the stuff they have to offer at happyjackinc.com. And I was bragging on my new Roughland Kennel last podcast, and I just want to explain a little bit more because I don't think you, you know, I was not a very good explainer on this one. You know, at Roughland Kennels, you can spec out what you want in your dog crate. Everything from the color, they have a wide variety of those, to where you put doors. You want a door on each end? You want a door on the front and the side? That's what I got for Flick, and it works perfectly the way my pickup truck bed is configured. All those things are available to you. Flexibility from the folks who pioneered roto-molded performance dog kennels. That's roughlandkennels.com. And you spell rough just like Flick would. ROUGH. R-U-F-F, roughlandkennels.com. And if he isn't making notes about Roughland or Happy Jack, he's paying attention right now because it's Don Curry's turn to come back to the Upland Nation podcast. Welcome back, Don.
1: Thank you, Scott. Um, you know, I, I as, as I was listening to, uh, to uh, you uh, during the break, I said, you know, we, we ought to sort of segue, if we're going to talk about gun fit, uh, before we sort of leave chokes, and that is that, you know, one of the, we talked about um, going to the patterning board to, to verify uh, barrel regulation. Yeah. There, there's really three times that we would go to the patterning board and patterning boards, uh, almost every sporting clays club or, you know, shotgun club has one. And, uh, you see them everything from a, uh, you know, a, a paper target like you, you would see in a tactical environment. Mm-hmm. Or uh, the ideal patterning board is one that is a steel plate with a little hole in the middle. And uh, you use either paint or my preference is uh, grease, industrial grease, to cover uh, the, uh, the surface of the steel plate so that you can see what the pattern looks like when it, it hits the patterning board. And there's actually three reasons we would go to a patterning board. Uh, one is uh, for to check barrel regulation when you first get your shotgun. Uh, the second would be to check gun fit. And the third would be to, uh, if, you, if you really wanted to get into um, how your chokes perform at different distances, mm-hmm. uh, that's another thing, another reason to go to the patterning board. Now, I personally just think that's way too anal for me. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm I, <laughs> and, and there, listen, there's a lot of people that make a, you know, will make a whole afternoon out of analyzing the choke constriction and the pattern density and, and all of that, where the holes are. That's not me. So, but those are the three reasons one would go to a patterning board, which sort of segues into the gun fit. Uh, issue that I think you want to you want to get get to
0: I do and I, I let me just add that uh, we are uh, officially deep in the weeds here but that's okay we too <laughs> uh, George Trulock, of, of all people he would know of course he makes a study of this all day every day <clears throat> pardon me um pointed out so aptly and so simply to me um when you when you look at that pattern on the pattern board if you're if your pattern has bird-sized holes in it then it's probably not a very good choke tube or load or something there's something wrong there that you got to you know dig a little deeper into enough said about choke tubes and and that sort of thing but you know again uh, somebody's they they they're let's go back even farther they're thinking about buying a gun and one of the things they need to know is um is it going to work for me and one of the things you're going to ask them is well let's have you ever had a gun fitted so take us through that process for anything but you know the big box first gun that we're buying for under 300 bucks
1: sure i mean i mean the first the first question i always ask and and i i am a a dealer i i I, uh I, i fit and uh create marriages between shooters and and their uh, their next shotgun uh, very often. And um, what I'll say is the, the first question I always ask when someone says, I want to buy a new shotgun. Um, okay, what are you going to use it for? <laughs> so th- th- to me, that's that's the first uh, and most important question. So is it going to be um, primarily dedicated to, to uh, clay shooting sports? And if so, which discipline? Is it going to be skeet, trap, sporting clays? Um, or is it going to be an Upland bird gun? Uh, are you going to primarily use it for um, hunting over dogs? Or or are you going to be going over to England and, and hunting um, uh, driven pheasant? So it, it really, the, the intended use of the gun uh, is the, really the starting point mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. trying to understand what's the right gun for you.
0: Yeah, let me just interject there because I the first side-by-side I ever owned was actually built along English uh, lines in, in that the, the stock was cut so that I, I could shoot incoming birds with the right kind of gun mount for example, and mm-hmm. it had, it had two triggers. So I could, depending on how close that bird was and whether it was coming at me or not, I could choose the the left barrel or the right barrel. Um, the tubes, the chokes were effectively reversed from what most of us would use, in fact. So it does matter. And we do need to know those things. Uh, so, so, okay, I'm going to, I want it. I want a gun that I want to use primarily for uh, wild quail and pheasants but i'll probably mm-hmm. take i'll probably take it to the range and I, my range uh, my club has all three disciplines so now what
1: yeah so so you, you, i would uh, describe you as someone who's primarily oriented toward upland bird hunting so you're hunting over dogs you're not, not driven bird correct? right yeah okay so so you're primarily oriented toward uh, upland bird hunting over dogs um, but you're probably going to go to the sporting clays course to get in shape for the season or to, but your goal in going to a sporting clay course is really to improve your, your upland bird hunting. Yeah, exactly. And we, and, and I deal with, um, you know, shooters like that all the time. So, so a field gun is probably what you're looking for, right? Whether it's, whether it's over and under or um, side by side is really a matter of, of, of preference uh you know as i think we talked about in the last podcast you know holding a side by side and moving a side by side to a bird um you know you're you're holding a piece of history really right mm-hmm. so um so it's really a matter of preference it's you know tomatoes tomatoes right uh, do you want a side by side or do you want an over and under there is a little bit of a, a visibility disadvantage uh, in an over and under if you have targets coming from underneath the gun so, um, which typically they do in a upland bird scenario.
0: Yeah. You know, and in, in fact, it's uh, now you bring it up. Many of the birds I shoot at not are on, are not only coming from ground level, but ground level below me you know chucker hunting for example so um that explains a lot (laughs) (laughs) Uh, okay so here we are but but hey but hey you want to be challenged out there too right so that's that's that's, seldom a problem
1: (laughs) (laughs) well i mean there's a lot of very proficient hunters that love hunting quail with a 410 just because it it adds a little additional challenge you know i I agree uh, yeah yeah
0: so so here we are uh so um so i'm walking through the gun room and you're you're thinking okay what what do i have on the rack that might help this guy um or what can i get uh, and put in his hands but once that gun shows up uh that you you, we still got work ahead of us don't we
1: yeah no we we do and uh double trigger and single trigger are uh, our considerations so um, and there, going back to a question you, you asked me earlier, do I ever, you know, change barrels? Um, yeah. If if I was in a hunting scenario where I definitely wanted the ability to quickly go back and forth between top barrel and bottom barrel, or left barrel and right barrel, uh, more constriction, less constriction, I would definitely opt for uh, a double trigger gun yeah. because it yeah. is by far the quickest way. And still today, with, with you know technology that really hasn't advanced since. The late 1800s. It's still the quickest way today to go from uh, from one barrel to make a decision to go uh, to choose one barrel versus another uh, to, is to use a double trigger gun.
0: Don, you just so, said something that is it, it's mind boggling on the surface, and if we go deeper, it's even scarier. And that is, what other devices do we use that are still using hundred year old technology?
1: Well, it, it's so fascinating, and, and uh, I'm, I, I know um, a, a bit more than the average person about the, the history of shotgunning and how it all began, but I don't know nearly as much as some of the other folks that have written books out there about the history of shotgunning. But what is fascinating, it's, complete, it's just absolutely fascinating, is that technology has really not gone much further past the late 1800s, early 1900s, when the British gentry, in the heyday of pigeon shooting and competitive, um, shotgun shooting, uh, really funded that R mm-hmm. and D. So, mm-hmm. so, so we, we have uh, most of the, uh, the mechanisms that we have in shotguns today are really, uh, uh, we can, we can thank the the British gentry of, of that era, uh, for funding the R and D for us.
0: Yeah. Because back then it was some schmo with a, with a block of metal and a file and somebody had to pay him to make something out of that.
1: Yeah, no, it's, it's very very interesting that uh, in, in, in the early days, there really was no um, gun industry, if yeah, you will. The, yeah. There were no gun makers. They were actually blacksmiths. Oh. And so it became sort of a specialty area of, of metalworking um, to be a gun maker. But gun makers really didn't come into, into being. It was m- more of a specialty of metalwork. Um, than than the gun makers that we the famous gun makers particularly the early ones in in Britain uh, that we know uh, well today like Purdy and Holland and Holland uh, mm-hmm. etc yeah.
0: is uh, uh, are most of the guns that that we buy these days uh, is their length of pull which is the simplest aspect of gun fit is their length of pull about right for about most of us or do we really need to pay attention to that before we go much farther.
1: Yeah, so to, to, the, to the neophyte, when you talk about length of a gun, um, people always think it's the length of the barrel. So mm-hmm. ballistically, mm-hmm. and how a gun performs, the length of the barrel means very little. Yeah. It really. Yeah. It, ballistically, it just doesn't matter. So what's, in, what's important, though, is when you mount that gun as an individual, um, how does your eye come to rest? Where does your eye come to rest? in relationship to the center of the rib which obviously is sits on the top barrel if it's an over and under uh, or between the two barrels if it's a side by side um so that's that's and, and so we're looking for two things in the rudimentary cat, uh subject of gun fit we're really looking for two things we're looking for comfort and we're mm-hmm. looking for visibility and uh, again, getting being very rudimentary here, uh, very basic in gun fitting because there's you know when I do gun fittings, uh, I I specify about 25 plus different specifications. But yeah. if we really want to keep it simple, the, the the simple way to look at it is length of pull, which is the distance between the front face of the trigger and the back of the butt pad. Um, that that length of pull is usually measured in inches or millimeters, depending on wh- what side of the planet you're on um and your pitch which is the angle of the butt pad in relationship to the rib so um something a shotgun with no pitch would be the the butt pad would be uh completely perpendicular to the the uh, rib um one that has pitch would the the toe which is the bottom of uh the stock right would would be uh inset a little bit so in other words the top if you just hold a shotgun uh and and mounted a shotgun the top uh the part of the butt that's near nearest the top of your shoulder would be slightly back from the toe which is the part that hits your pectoral muscle there
0: and that Um, that's, that's what uh, that British-style gun I was using for a while was, wasn't it? It was built so that birds coming toward me up high. Uh, the gun was... Would that be right or it would be the other way around? No, Maybe. no, that, that's yeah. right. Yeah. And, and
1: yeah. actually, the, the gun you were describing earlier is, is actually... Um, it, you rarely ever see, a uh, whether it be a double-trigger or single-trigger gun, where the first barrel is more is, is tighter than the second barrel, right? Um, the only time you really see that is in a grouse gun. Yeah. Um, so grouse-driven grouse, uh, driven grouse um, uh, uh, unlike you know s- grouse in the northern part of the United States, where you're hunting over dogs and and in thick thick woods, uh, in England, driven grouse, uh, the first shot you're going to get on a grouse is going to be at a longer distance than will the second
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, barrel. So so that that would be an instance where you might find a gun that has a Uh, tighter constriction on on the front trigger um for a longer distance shot and a more open choke uh, more open choke barrel for the back trigger or second trigger
0: so getting back to length of pull Mm -hmm. um, because this is the one you know we can all do this one and we've all fallen for the gun sellers trick of putting the gun the butt the butt of the gun stock in your elbow and then putting your finger on the trigger and if it if it's right on the trigger then it fits you but that works yeah. for, for every gun almost for almost every gun i've ever seen you're saying to get that to understand length of pull you got to put that gun up safely of course to your shoulder and you got to look down the barrel uh over the rib and what do you look for there
1: well, it, you know, it, uh, trying to fit a gun is is sort of like trying to prescribe your own medication. Right? So, um, but but if one were try uh, trying to see if a gun fit them, they would want to pick a, a a spot. And well, let, let me back up a second. So, length of pull is really uh, is really for comfort, and so is pitch. Those two okay. elements are strictly right. strictly comfort. We're we're not really talking yet about. Um, does the gun shoot where you're looking because that, oh, that's really okay. the goal right yeah so we yeah. want we want comfort we want the gun to be comfortable because if it's too long it, you're gonna feel uh, an excess amount of recoil okay uh, if it's too short you're, you're probably uh, on recoil your your the base knuckle or your thumb is probably going to be hitting you in the nose um, <laughs> so you're too close to the receiver or the action in that in that case so you you want to be a, you want to have your nose a comfort, when, when you're fully mounted to the gun, you uh for when we look for a rudimentary fit for a shooter we we want the um the nose to be somewhere uh between one and one and a half inches uh between the nose and the base knuckle of the thumb uh, on the trigger hand
0: i love it i mean everybody could figure that out yeah so
1: and then in terms of the the angle of, of the butt pad or the pitch you basically want even coverage between the heel, which is the top of the butt pad, and the toe, which is the bottom of the butt pad. Now, that's really hard to do a self-assessment, Yeah. but if you were gonna do that without going to a gun fitter, the best thing you can do is have someone take a picture of you from the side yeah. when you're fully mounted to the gun, and then you can sort of see, do, you, do I have even coverage on my, uh, you know, on my shoulder and pectoral muscle from, from the heel down to the toe? Uh, when you know when I'm fully mounted to the gun, if you've got even coverage, then you're probably in good shape.
0: And by even coverage, you mean is it touching every bit of my shoulder, the cup of the shoulder there, right? It, exactly. Okay. So
1: so if you don't have enough pitch, yeah, uh, or enough angle where the toe isn't in far enough mm-hmm. as compared to the heel, mm-hmm. what you, what you'll see is you'll see the top half of the butt pad actually uh, separated from the shoulder, got it, and the bottom. Half of the butt pad is the only part that's in contact. Okay. So that right. that would be indicative of a gun that didn't have enough pitch for the sh- particular shooter.
0: Okay. All right. Well, let let's move along because I, you know, really, what we want to talk about is how this all works in the field. So, so if you were <clears throat> if you were taking somebody, um, one of your uh, instructor instruction shoot uh, students into the into the bird field and you were lucky enough to go to that plantation in georgia where you had pointing dogs and and you and your student were walking behind the dogs dogs slam a point it's time it's go time here we are what are the things you want to tell that person before they actually pull the trigger
1: well so every lesson that i do regardless of the sort of the orientation of the student, whether they're a bird hunter or a clay shooter or whatever. Um, the, the first thing I want to do is I, I want to do a little pointing test on them. So mm-hmm. I want to see what their eye dominance is. And then, yeah. and then I, I quickly move into gun fit. And by gun fit, uh, I usually ask them uh, to focus on a, um, a spot. Let's say it's a road sign or whatever the case may be in the parking lot. And I say, OK, I want you to mount to that spot as if you're shooting a going away quail or a, or a going away trap target and just mount naturally like you're uh, you know start in a good ready position with the gun off the cheek and then go ahead and mount the gun to that spot as if you're shooting uh a going away target and when they do that i'm looking for uh I, i'm gonna position myself in two different places first to the side i'm checking the length of pull so i'm checking to see if the nose is you know an inch to mm-hmm. an inch and a half from from the uh the base knuckle. Then I'm also checking the coverage of the butt pad. As soon as I ch- I check that, I say, okay, bring the gun down. I want you to do the same thing again. Now, uh, obviously, I've made sure that the gun is safe, <laughs> and, and uh, because that's a, a um, that could be a, a pretty big uh, occupational hazard yeah. to get in front of. A, yeah. So so we've already made sure the gun's safe. So I'm having them mount again to the, to that target. Okay. And now I'm stepping in front of the gun, and I want to see where does that shooter's pupil end up in comparison to the center of the rib? So uh-huh. uh, I, I'm looking for a couple of things. Is the, is the eye at the right elevation? Okay. Uh, as compared to the surface of the rib, right? So if the eye is too low and I'm really looking for the colored part of the eye or the iris. So, yeah, so yeah. is the, is the whole eyeball, like a marble on a table that's really what I'm looking for I want to see that whole eyeball sitting on top of the rib and centered on the rib that's the ideal situation now so what I can see sometimes what I will see sometimes is the iris or the eyeball falling below yeah. the surface yeah. uh, of the rib so what that tells me is that shooter's not going to be seeing the targets real well so what we need to do is somehow raise the level of the student's eye how do we do that we raise the comb uh, which is the flat surface on top of the back stock right so we need to add a little bit of height there uh, and there's some different ways we can do that sure. in field expedient yeah. mode yeah. and then then the other thing we're looking for is is the uh, let's say the iris is at the proper elevation okay um, so it's like a marble on a table is the iris left or right of the center line sure. of the rib yeah. and and that is commonly referred to as cast mm-hmm. so backing up a second so elevation is typically referred to as drop at comb okay so it's how much does that comb drop below the level of the rib if you extended that rib line all the way back to the heel. Um, how much does that comb drop from that imaginary line um, so that, that defines your, your elevation of the eye and then the, um, the centering of the eyeball along the center of the rib is what we typically refer to as the cast of the stock so the cast of the stock or the bend of the stock left or right um, typically facilitates the eye being centered or, or ill centered um, in comparison to the rib,
0: you know, and you know, I keep hearing more and more these days that a lot of a lot of guns uh, from Europe are coming without any cast on them anymore. Now, you, is is that just a vicious rumor or is that true?
1: Well, I, I I don't know about that specific statement, but there are a lot of mass product mass produced guns that are. Um, produced with very little cast mm-hmm. um, and uh, let's say an average amount of drop, and, um, and and that's typically so that you know the 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 uh, the, the person who can shoot that gun uh, there there's more people who could shoot that gun because it has sort of an, an average yeah. or it has no cast and sort of an average amount of drop. So you know the, the one that comes to mind is the Beretta Silver Pigeon. Uh, One, for example, Um, Beretta. uh, It's and that's a great uh, starter over and under. By the way, I mean uh, it's a great value. You can probably. Uh, I think you can pick one up for about $2,700. You could spend another $2,000, and I don't think you're going to get a, a better-made gun. Mm-hmm. And, and what, what uh, what's amazing about the Beretta Silver Pigeon is just how consistent their stock specifications are. Some other manufacturers sure. out there, you'll pick up one gun, and they may have more drop or more cast, or or it may be you know, uh, barrel-heavy versus back-heavy. Uh, Beretta, the Beretta Silver Pigeon series is so incredibly consistent from gun to gun. And um, so, you know, getting back to your original question, what, what am I looking for? I'm looking for comfort uh, in terms of length of pull and pitch uh, as far as gun fit goes. And I'm looking for the, the iris to be centered and atop the, the rib so that uh, to promote visibility and to make sure that the gun is shooting where the shooter is looking. If the, if the iris is centered and atop the rib, the gun's going to shoot where the shooter's
0: looking. Love it. That is, uh, I've never heard it described so easily, simply and easily that, you know, we might even be able to do some of that in front of a mirror.
1: Yeah. No, I I think too, um, as long as you're confident that you can mount the gun naturally, because Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. a lot of, uh, I will say in about 60, 70% of the cases, when I check a, a client's fit in the parking lot, um it, it changes uh when they get on targets. Yeah. So yeah. they'll they'll tend to either apply more pressure, mm. downward pressure of the head to the comb, or you'll see uh, uh, the the shooter actually apply less pressure yeah. so a little lighter mount. So it, it's important to uh, during a gun fit to not only evaluate the person in a in a static mode, which I do, but it's it's absolutely critical to evaluate them in a uh, in a dynamic mode in the field or on a, or on a, on moving targets, on clay targets. So yeah. I, I'll never, I'll never put specifications on a specification sheet without validating uh, the specifications for a shooter on moving targets. It's just a cri- the critical litmus test for gun okay. fit.
0: All right, let's go hunting. So uh, when you're out there in the field with somebody and, and, um, and they've been around a while and they they think they're pretty good and they probably are way better than me, but probably not as good as you what are the you're sitting back there if you could tell them and granted sometimes it's not appropriate but if if you could hunt with somebody and at the end of the day they said well how did i do how did i do what or what should i change what is the what is the thing that you would probably say to most people in a wing shooting situation
1: so having been in in uh the general manager of a um quail hunting preserve for a couple of years uh, and and working with a lot of uh, quail hunters uh, hunting quail dogs, I would say the number one uh, reason for missed birds is almost always a mount that's too quick.
0: <laughs> I'm <laughs> so, laughing and, at me, not with me. <laughs> yeah, so and, and and typically that it, that
1: tends to resolve itself slightly from the beginning of the hunt toward as the hunt. Uh, advances a little bit yeah Uh, because because uh i think you relax a little bit and and you're not quite as hyped up but uh you know a quick mount um and and i can add to that a quick and inefficient mount Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. to a bird will will uh you know by far is in my opinion the the number one reason for a, a missed bird
0: Oh, um, I'm I'm with you 100% only because I live that hell every time I go hunting. Um, what about foot position? we
2: mm-hmm.
0: We're walking yeah, no, we're gr- walking up on a a pointing dog. How do you settle in at that point? Because that's what most of us are going to do. We're going to kick the birds up ourselves unless they fly yeah. wild. So so we yeah. got we got we got a dilemma here. We got we got to walk in. We got to kick around, and then we got to set our feet to shoot the dang bird. Got any right. advice for well, us?
1: Well, well, I I, 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 won't get into the dance one has to do to kick up birds, but let's just let's just uh, uh, sort of keep it simple and say, okay, if we're hunting over dogs, um, and let's say we've got uh, let's say we've got somebody working the dogs in the middle, and and we have a shooter on the left and shooter on the right. So ideally, the first thing you want to do when you have uh, dogs on point is uh you want to establish a shooting line yeah. right yeah so so that means that the shooter on the left and the shooter on the right are going to come up on line so that there's you can almost draw a straight line between the shooter on the left the 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 dog and or the guide or both and the shooter on the right so you, you want to establish that line that, yeah that's what no
0: nobody's people from, uh, no shooters are behind innocent bystanders if you will
1: exactly and that's yeah. a safety issue and if yeah. you do happen to have Someone else walking along. Um, that person walking along should be immediately behind the dogs or or, or the guide if there happens to be yeah. a guide. Yep. Um, so that that's that's a safety issue. And then and then in, before the hunt even begins, it, you ought to have that conversation with the folks in your hunt to establish uh, zones of fire. Right. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. so so typically the guy on the left uh, of the dog should have a zone from nine to twelve and the, 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 the person on the right should have a zone from 12 to 3. Now, you know, if, if uh, weather, and a lot of plantations will, will uh, for, for shooters that come up on a plantation that the guides never hunted with the shooters before, uh, you really want to maintain that sort of level of safety because um, having ran a plantation before, um, it's, it's a pretty dangerous thing to be a, um, a guide in a um on a plantation where you're trying to manage the dogs you're trying to keep everybody safe and uh it's really important to have established those zones of fire so having said that the person on the left um zone of fire is nine to twelve then and this just departs a little bit from what uh some of your viewers may have heard in the past but that lead foot right-handed shooter that lead foot um should be pointed somewhere around the ten thirty. Mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm. okay
1: and and the shooter on the right the right-handed shooter that left foot the lead foot should be somewhere around the 130 uh-huh. so why do i why do i say that because now your body is positioned such that you can make that move very easily anywhere between nine and twelve sure if you orient yourself to that twelve o'clock and you, you get a bird that's that's going you know sort of from the dog and and hooking at a at a steep angle left right sharp angle left um it, you're going to sort of run out of swing room mm-hmm. if you will mm-hmm. or, and if we reverse that to a left-handed shooter on the on the left side of the dog that left-handed shooter should have their front foot pointed at about 11 uh well it, it should be pointed around the ten thirty yeah and uh if they're on the right side of the dog that that uh right foot should be pointed somewhere around the 130 and um and and stance becomes a a big issue as well so how should the body be positioned once you once you've got your feet oriented correctly well um your you ought to your knees ought to be just out of lock so just flexed a little bit butt back a little bit and nose over toes so (laughs) nose and shoulders forward nose over toes and if you do that and you mount the gun or you're, you're in your ready position, your heel, the heel of the gun, is in front of your armpit, you can very smoothly and easily move the gun up to the cheek without uh, without much wobbling with the gun.
0: And, and, and you can take your time to do that so that it is a deliberate, careful, and well-located mount when you're done, right?
1: exactly and uh, you know a rushed move what a rushed move does is it pulls your eye off the bird to the gun and now you have to acquire the bird again now that you're mounted to the gun so I always encourage shooters just slow down and lead with the front hand keep your eye on the bird make that connection with the bird from Mm -hmm. the time you acquire it visually all the way through the shot leading with the front hand and uh, keeping your eye on the bird
0: so uh we're there our feet are in what we hope is the right position uh what are we looking at
1: on the bird we're looking at uh typically when you have a bird flying away from you you're going to see the head above the body
0: well but i mean before that what we're waiting for somebody we're we're waiting for the bird to get up so are we looking at where we think the bird is or off in the distance or what
1: Yeah. Great question. So, so if we focus our eyes on where the dog's nose is, Uh our eyes are probably going to get beat by the bird. Uh Okay. And it's just going to be a blur and our brain is going to register a panic move. So again, that's going to all feed that panic to the first bird, right? So what I recommend is that we leverage our peripheral vision to pick up the bird that initially flushes off of the floor right yeah so in order to do that we want our eyes uh, you know somewhere oriented out to the 12 Uh o'clock but Mm -hmm. sort of out to distance maybe maybe 15 feet out in front of the dog that way our peripheral vision can initially pick up the bird uh, and we're and now we're not positioned for this panic move
0: yeah Yeah. Oh, that, that, uh, that was worth the entire podcast. Don Curry is my guest. I'm Scott Linden. Don is the chief instructor for the national sporting clays association. He knows his birds and he knows his dogs too, as you're, you're figuring out, uh, as am I one last question in that world. And that is, uh, I, and I think I know the answer because I'm, I live it every time I'm in the field, all of that taken into consideration. Do we shoot too soon, anyway?
1: Um, I, I don't. I
0: don't say that we shoot too soon.
1: I, I, again, I just go back to the the my original comment of you know what's the biggest mistake made yeah. in the field uh, over birds and and I think I think if you if you slow down your your mount by half and lead with the front hand. Um, what that's going to do is that's going to promote the visual connection with the target. Yeah. And w- what we really want to prevent is an interruption of that visual connection. So uh, when, when, we, uh, when we have a quick mount or we're more focused on mounting the gun than we are on staying visually connected with the bird, that's typically when we miss. So just slowing down uh, the, the gun, the mount by half, leading with the front hand, maintaining that visual connection with the bird all the way through the trigger pull That's the
0: key. All right. Uh, Those of you who are looking at your phone right now, hit the little circle back thing. Listen to that three times in a row. Make note (laughs) of it. Practice it at one of the ranges you go to. Don Curry, always fun to talk with you. I can wish you a happy new year one more time, and please send some of that um, that humidity and uh, warmer temperature my way uh thanks so much again for being a part of the upland nation podcast have a great 2022 and uh, we'll talk to you down the road thank you scott it's always great to be on oh boy there are some gold nuggets in there so go back and re listen to this one more time when you get a moment share it with a friend or two and of course uh Appreciate a positive review as well. We got lots more to come, but before we get to the new Upland Nation puzzler and your dog's New Year's resolutions, uh, a couple things. First off, find more information about Don at Don Curry, C U R R I E.com. DonCurry.com. And the podcast is brought to you in part by Dr. Tim's Natural Performance Dog Food. Check out some of the videos on my YouTube channel, uh, show you in graphic detail why it's important to feed the right food at the right times, including the right balance and the right sources of proteins and fats. It's important to get protein from both animal and Um, marine sources and it's important to get different types of fat for different types of amino acids among other things dr tim hunt has all that information and including where he sources his ingredients at d r t i m s if you're looking for peak performance in your bird dog you got to start with the fuel you're putting into the tank and that's dr tim's natural performance dog food 30% off your first order. Just use the code UplandNation. Free delivery. Yeah, I use it, and so should you. And speaking of shooting instruction, if you're trying to become a better shot and you can't get to Don, well, you might visit Mid-Valley Clays and Shooting School. They're near Salem, Oregon, an incredible facility. From an RV park to every shotgun discipline you can think of, it's all right there. Plus a pro shop with lots of guns you can try and certified instructors. Try the guns you're thinking about buying, stay a few days and enjoy every game you can think of. Multi-purpose clay target facility, places to hunt nearby in Oregon and Washington along the way. Learn more at Mid Valley clays.com talk to dave fiedler and find out what you need to know about shooting and buying a new gun yeah at the end of the month i'll be giving away a very rare i'll call it a limited edition signature series real bird bumper from my own line yeah one of the last ones out there your dog will love it, so uh, answer the Upland Nation Puzzler question correctly, and you're entered to win. Here it is. Message me on Facebook with your answers. What is the common name for a bird the biologists call the Phasianus colchicus? I'll say it one more time. I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly. What is the common name for the bird that biologists call Phasianus colchicus? Hey, look it up. Fazianis starts with a P by the way, it's all right there. Just look it up and then enter to win, send me a Facebook message. Okay. Uh, I promised you, well, I promised your dogs that they could express their new year's resolutions as well. And boy, do they have something to say about, okay, about us. George Cummins says his dog Samson wants a couple more titles and to hunt in a new state. Hey, come on out, George. I'll show you some a real great basin hunting out here. It should be a good time for you folks who love the flat ground in South Dakota. Lance Larson wants Zane to earn his AKC Master Hunter title this season. And. Zane, you're also got to be on the lookout for scaled quail. First one for Lance, first one for you, matching up to that Merns he got last season thanks to you. Gordon Vavrick says uh, his dog wants to hunt more now than ever. At least that's the look he gets constantly. Jack Leventry says his dog wants more birds. Well, who doesn't? Good boy. And Travis Hampton says macy promises not to counter snurf and hopes to get a blue grouse and a pheasant next year good girl macy and whoever your accomplice is there i can't tell with just one paw in the picture but macy looks like a a, an in-shape black labrador thank you travis for keeping your dog away from fat and towards skinny good job everybody you know this part of the show is brought to you by FindBirdHuntingSpots.com. Don talked to or alluded to a whole bunch of topics that we've got covered there, so check them out. There's new material every week. Um, appreciate all your comments on that last piece I did on some pretty good dogs I've known over the years. You notice my dog wasn't in there. <laughs> anyway, uh, thank you all for visiting Find birdhuntingspots.com and that'll do it for us here at the Upland Nation podcast if you appreciate what you're hearing tell your friends uh, stay in touch at the Wing Shooting USA and Upland Nation Facebook pages and if you are so inclined to leave a good review I'd appreciate that wherever you get your podcasts thank you very much in advance for that I am looking forward to getting out a little bit more myself. I hope you are too. Don't let the yucky weather put you off too much. I'll leave you with this anonymous observation that most of us can probably agree with 110%. Life without a dog is like an unsharpened pencil. It has no point. I'm Scott Linden. This is the Upland Nation podcast. Thanks again for listening. I'll see you in the field.